Hello, my friends. I'm so glad you joined us in this second part of our first episode of Cultivating Healthy and Vibrant Workplaces. As a panel, we discussed in this segment some critical questions around leading and facilitating workplace wellness initiatives and building thriving work cultures in today's challenging environment. I asked questions such as, if you had a crystal ball, what do you believe you would see for the future of well-being and what are some key competencies, skills, and qualities that are going to be required of workplace wellness leaders to effectively lead organizations and employees in the future? And we conclude with a discussion on connecting to the hearts and minds of leadership regarding the importance of nurturing self-care with employees and fostering healthy work cultures and what they can do to help cultivate such. In reflecting on what I might say in this keeping it real commentary for this segment, I thought I might highlight the importance of connecting to the hearts and minds of leadership in our organizations. As you will hear Philippa, Ryan, and Jesse discuss, it is so important that we not only capture and report on data of how well our wellness programs are supporting our organizations and our employees, but also share stories and anecdotal information in a way that really connects to the hearts and minds of our leaders. I recently read a quote that said, if I create from the heart, nearly everything works. If from the head, almost nothing. So it speaks so perfectly to the value of engaging with our leadership on a heart level. As you will hear Philippa allude to, she makes a point of connecting to the mind, body, and spirit of their leadership when presenting to them in their quarterly meetings. And one way she does this is by commencing her presentations with a stretch activity and by recognizing them as real people with real needs via open Q&A discussions about their personal well-being or the well-being of their employees. And she helps them explore opportunities to nurture their self-care, which, as we know, will help them prioritize and nurture the self-care of the people in their organization. So as you listen to our discussion, do take note of the actionable ideas and strategies that are mentioned and perhaps capture them in a notes file in your phone, maybe a Google Docs file or your notepad. Also, before we get started, I'm excited to share that we are beginning the intake of our 2023 Workplace Wellness Certification Programs that commence on January 30th. To learn more about our certification tracks and to schedule a discovery consult, check out our program tracks via our website at workplacewellnesscoe.com. Again, that's workplacewellnesscoe.com. Or certainly reach out at info at workplacewellnesscoe.com. Now, let's check out what our esteemed panel had to say in this segment, and be sure to continue listening to hear my key takeaway and thoughts that I share at the end. Hello, and welcome back to part two of our episode one, where we, in the last segment, we were talking about workplace wellness reset. What does that mean? You know, where do we go from here? Do we even need a reset? And we really had some great discussions. So if you missed part one, certainly go back and check it out. So we're joined again by Jesse Gavin and Ryan Wolf and Philippa Dawood. So let's just carry on from where we left off. So my next question then was, if you had a crystal ball, 
what do you believe, you know, you would see for the future of workplace well-being? So it really gets back to the whole question around workplace wellness reset. And, you know, how do you see wellness programs developing as we emerge from the pandemic? You know, are there any shifts that you foresee? And we touched on this in the first segment, but let's just pick it up again and, and maybe even deep dive a little more into that. So uh, maybe start with Philippa. So what do you believe, you know, what, what do you see in the future for workplace well-being? I see wellness programs becoming almost, uh, dare I say it, law, sort of really something that and I actually want to say law because <laughs> I'm putting it out there in the universe. I want every organization to have wellness. Okay, um, so when you say I, law, what do you mean? Like, you're well, law. well I, I say that just being, being in... Um, for those that uh, may not be aware, you know, obviously we're, we're, we've got different, um, you know, Employment Standard Act and Occupational Health and Safety Acts and things like that, depending where you are in the world. But we we have a new um, act called Working Workers for Working that's being passed. And so, if you're in Canada, you probably are, will become familiar with that. And that talks about disconnecting from the from work. And and of course, what that means to any organization is for the for the organization to to take right. You have as a policy. I think you've got to submit policy. Anyhow, I'm not an expert in it, but now, is that um, something specific to Ontario you're referring to? I or? believe it's yeah, specific I've, to Ontario. I've so, heard something like that. Yeah. So what I guess what I'm trying to say because obviously not everybody not every listener is, is is in Ontario. Check check your what's out there, you know, check, check what, what legally is out there or where you can take something in your employment standard act or in your OHSA or in, in your legal framework um, to find out wh- what, what can you use as leverage to bring to the organization, bring to the conversation with your senior leadership and say, you know, this is how wellness can be positioned. Um, it's with that, you know, I, I, I I think you can get some buy-in, you can get some um, conversation started so they can start to say, okay, because for example, with this act, it, if you don't have anything or, or an awareness, your HR doesn't have a clue necessarily how to adopt that Working for Workers Act, they're going to need a wellness person. They're going to need somebody to handle wellness. So I think that is how you can get the conversation started or if, if you don't, I actually feel like that act is actually going to create um, a really great awareness in any organization to go, oh, oh, wait a minute, I need to do something. I need, It's now legally, I need like, to do something. To your knowledge, are they going to be voluntarily, voluntary guidelines? Uh, you know, I don't by the think province? so. I think it's, I think it's, like part mandate, based on, like, it's going to be mandated. I think you really? have to submit based on what That's I've read. And the, yeah, you're going to have to submit it's a really, policy uh, of what you're, what you're, how you're, you know, having your workers disconnect uh, from work. In a, in so what does that mean to an yeah, organization? Yeah. Obviously, you have to take that information and apply it and create your own policy and process. Um, but for me, I was excited to read this because it just reinforced what I've been presenting to senior leadership and, uh, and you know, talking about in every presentation I do quarterly. And, and, and it to me it just reinforces. So yeah. what what the I mean I think it's an HR that policy that I think that has to be created or could be a joint policy. Really, it will depend. It's on really interesting because you know I I have a, uh, someone I interview for the book. Um, she's in New York and her husband I believe maybe works in Ontario. I think if I get that right. So it's going to be mm-hmm. interesting because if you have an employee that's located elsewhere but they do work for an Ontario 
organization. What's that mean? Right. So, you know, it's going to be really, I, I love that. I love the, um, the underlying premise of where they're trying to go with it though. And it's yeah. interesting that an, or that a, a provincial pro government would try and would, would be taking the lead in that. Right. So I find that really interesting as well. I think what's great about it, Lisa, though, if nothing else, it's going to, cre- it creates a conversation about health, safety, and it wellness. Does. And I really, really, and if you are the wellness person, all, all, I mean, it's not something I or wellness will necessarily manage or create policy on, but you can use that as a legitimate and leverage conversation starter and leverage it. So if you are struggling to have that conversation, or maybe you have a, a leader that is about, resources, we don't have money. And I understand that I respect that, you know, budgets are important. But if you by saying, listen, this is coming up, right, this is going to be law, or it's going to affect, you know, something that we have to manage, it, it you can start that conversation, because the next well, how do you want to how do you want to manage it? Yeah. yeah. And, and come with some ideas as well. That's another, you know, good tip when I, my, I'm my senior leadership constantly asks, calls me an SME, and constantly wants my feedback. So I'm prepared yeah. when I present something, I introduce it, but I also give a suggested recommendation yeah. you or really thought. do. I, one of the things I love about you and, and, and I'm sure Jesse and Ryan do the same, but I, what I know about you, you really come at it from a high level perspective. You really yeah. do understand and speak to that senior leadership and they have yeah. your ear. And I know that because I interviewed your VP for our book. Yes. <laughs> And I really respect that about you. And I think that's really been a, a big you. strength of yours and a source of your success, right? Um, Jesse, again, what, what do you, thank you, Philip. What do you see, Jesse, as, you know, if you had a crystal ball, what do you see as the future of workplace wellness well-being? And I know it's a really big, big audacious question, but yeah. So I think there's a, there's kind of a natural shift, right? And so, um, and you really see this segmentation in the different organizations. And so you have these 30, 40 younger individuals coming into these senior leadership roles that grew up in wellness. They grew up in work-life balance and they're used to that. And so you're seeing a natural shift that they're going to be the ones that are really driving these efforts. Now, older organizations it might be a little bit behind, but I think they're coming coming around and so that's kind of what I see personally is going to help us as a profession is that you're going to have these individuals coming into these roles to where they, they want to start the conversation. And these conversations are going to be a lot easier um, coming around the corner. But um, and there's also, like Philip has said, there's actually a lot of research and there's bills being passed that happened during the pandemic um, in California. There, there's Senator Mark DeCano, um, I believe he's a senator, had passed a bill that re- to reduce the work week to, mm, to 32 yeah. hours. So from 40 hours to 32 hours. Has that been passed um, or just proposed? It has it's just been proposed. So yeah. it hasn't been passed yet, but I know he just proposed yeah. another bill that would require for companies of 500 or more. I think it, before it was just for smaller companies, but now they're expanding that bill to encompass a lot more companies. But um like she said, people are having those conversations and there's a lot of research that shows we don't need to work 40 hours. Like we can do a lot in 32 hours and get, you know, Absolutely. kind of have a four, four, three, four, four work days and three, three weekend yeah. days. And so we've got that inter- intergenerational, the multi-generational workforce. And are you seeing that even in your organization, Ryan, and how, how is that influencing you know, your role or, or what you're anticipate putting out as a workplace wellness leader? 
say at Gallup? Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point for sure. Uh, we're we're noticing some difference uh, in terms of habits and lifestyle that that uh, Gen Z is bringing compared to uh, boomers, Xers, boomers like and, myself, <laughs> and, and and even millennials like yeah, yeah. like me. But um, but I think you know what's interesting right now is employees just have a lot of leverage in terms of of uh you know where they work and and what um what kind of freedoms they might have or expectations that are heightened um just due to the just due to the marketplace uh, due to employment numbers and that i think is uh, depending on what you read and who you believe is expected to stay a while two two to five years it might not really shift for for a while so i think what we'll see is employers get get smarter about how they present wellness and well-being as part of uh, enhancing their employment brand in terms of helping uh, get recruits in the door and helping their already uh, already very talented employees stay. Mm-hmm. So I think um, that'll be interesting. But then beyond that, beyond the five years, if things shift and change, and maybe, maybe empl- employees don't have as much leverage, I think what you'll find is those the the employers who position themselves in a way that that um, that exuded wellness and well being as part of kind of an intrinsic uh, an intrinsic embedded part of who we are and what we do, and not just a rewards and extrinsic motivations. I think those organizations who have that. Uh, kind of wholesomeness and uh, intrinsic uh, motivation uh, integrated into what they do will really thrive beyond five, ten, and twenty years. I just also, as as Philippa and Jesse both mentioned, laws uh, and and uh, the legal side of things. It just kind of reminded me that um, in the United States, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, who govern all public. Um, entities and organizations. So, in the in any any organization or company who is publicly traded, mm-hmm. has to now report on ESG, so environmental, social, and governance issues within oh, okay. their within all their financial statements. So, it's kind of becoming the fourth financial statement. Oh. And and how so, would wellness be embed in that? Yeah. Or is there a role? Yeah. So that's really the the S part of it. So yeah. the social part of it, and. What we're seeing is organizations are are asking, what should we do? What should we start reporting on qualitatively, quantitatively? And right now, it's a little bit loose in terms of what is what is reported, but that could tighten up. And investors are going to start paying more attention to what organizations are doing uh, socially, uh, what what organizations are doing to protect the environment. How they're governing mm-hmm. and making investors. There's really, uh, you know, there's conscious of, uh, investors out there who are not, or who are steering away from just profitability right. and want to invest in organizations that are doing good for right. the world. So I think we'll see that as part of uh, playing to those investors. Um, we're already seeing it with the largest, uh, with with the people who are the you know, the wealthiest in the world. So um, the Bezos and the, yeah. the Gates and, and so well, on and so on. Well, it comes back to being that corporate social, you know, being corporate social, a corporate 
social responsibility, you know, mm-hmm. uh, initiative or mindset, right? And you know, community belt, community well being. Excuse me, I can't talk today. Community yeah. well being that we we speak to in the book under our dimensions chart. Um, yeah, great stuff. So let's move on. Um, so when it comes to developing goals and objectives for our programs, now we're really getting brass tacks here, right? Getting down to the, the nitty gritty. What metrics do you feel are most important when measuring and evaluating a wellness program? Now, who would like to start with that one? (laughs) (laughs) Let me just read it out again. When it comes to developing goals and objectives, what metrics do you feel are most important when measuring and evaluating a wellness program? Who would like to start on that one? (laughs) Well, I'll go maybe. or. (laughs) Take it away, Philippa. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's so many angles that you can really come from that. I mean, you know, you can follow the textbook in school and and do the big ticket items like, you know, absenteeism, presenteeism, quality of life, which are all very valid. Let me just, you know, but they're, they're very high up, right? And how do you, how long, how many activities, how much education, how much, you know, how long is it going to take you to get there? So, you know, when I came into SHN before the pandemic, it was, it was, I being in my department, workplace health and safety, it was very much like I kept hearing about meetings, injury, disability, and I'm patient. It was almost like a a dizzy, dizzying effect of me, you know, sort of hearing. So I really got a real taste of what really, again, about some of those root causes about what's affecting, you know, the day-to-day health and wellness of the staff. So from that, and again, I'll say it again, you know, we're following, I'm a believer in the standards and the factors. There's, you know, let's, we, we, sh- we need to look at process measures and outcome measures. So, you know, things like prevention of harm, right? That is an outcome measure. You know, resolution and of uh, occurrences of harm. Our promotion of health. What are we doing to promote the health? So those are process measures. And then sustainability and continual improvement. And then the one which, we, which we've talked a lot about is building our, our, our overall culture. So from that, you know, I, you know, I don't want to get too specific, um, but we, you know, the culture of wellness here at SHN and the reason why I'm so proud of what, you know, what we've accomplished um, under our VP um, and this division is um, we've gotten to, we've built the culture, like our staff instances of wellness, which I think I share with you, Lisa, um, participation, we measure everything here, how many education drops. So we really get down to the to the nitty gritty, and that is data I've been able to present. Um, our web page views, like everything's measured. It's almost like data is such an important thing in wellness yeah. to almost not just justify your existence, but really justify that for for, for SHN yeah. the culture shift. So, and you and you again, you present, you know, uh, as I think others have mentioned, uh, maybe quarterly or however, to your senior leadership. I mean, yeah. we talk a lot about you know storytelling in the book as well, and it's connecting to the heart as well as the mind. And um, before I go to Ryan or Jesse, anything you want to say around that in terms of what you've noticed when you're making those presentations to leadership? You know, the, the data. Of course, we need the data. But yeah. what other human stories, human elements, you know, how do you connect to their heart as well as their mind? You know, um, I go in, I go in with data. It's so funny. Um, I, but I, 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 I observe, I, I, I don't just speak to a slide deck and I, I, I notice that, well, they love their stretching. So, I mean, talk about putting a human element into, you know, I go in there and I get them stretching and I, I get them moving. I get them actually doing what I do on the unit. And, and how um, do they I'll, respond to that? 
they actually love it. It was actually, I'll share a little bit of a funny story. Um, so, I mean, they're at the boardroom where we were all spaced out. But there and was who, a, this is your, your VP levels? Your yeah, VP, CEO, um, all the executive VPs yeah. from the foundation, all the different areas. And there was a little side conversation going on. And um, the CEO was joking with, with him, hey, you know, stop, stop, uh, build the stretching. I said, yes, I'm the CEO right now, stretching. <laughs> And it. <laughs> so it's, it's ah. what's really funny is I feel um, I, I've always felt like these are real people. Yeah. So they, um, I mean, to the point to where we, during some of the height of the pandemic, we had a lot of donations that came in. So our senior leadership will actually come down and either hand out meals to the staff nice. they, or nice. physically take meals to, to the, to the um, nice. unit, which is really, really great. And I think you need, your senior leadership to yes, to buy in, to be part of the strategy, to push, to have those key conversations, but you want to put, like you said, the human element into it and have them rounding with you. Um, and I think if you can get, if you, if, if they can walk the talk, you can walk the talk and carry, carry the walk, you know, yeah. with others. So yeah. nice, nice. I love that approach you take with them. Um, you know, Ryan or Jesse, um, you know, again, talking about the metrics and setting goals and objectives. How do you approach that, Jesse? Um, so we have, again, being very fortunate, being a, a medical institution and, and research and education, we know the value of having a vibrant workforce. I mean, our CEO says that we're all involved in improving human health, no matter if you're a facilities worker or or a researcher or a clinician, we all, we all improve human health in one way or another. And so from my, so we've never been asked to kind of show our worth, which I know is, is kind of outside the norm. I think a lot of times wellness practitioners and professionals feel like every year they have to show what their program is doing because it's the first thing that's going to be cut at the sign of, uh, of you know, a downturn or, or any signs of danger. And I, and I truly feel that that's, we are so ingrained into the culture and the business plan of Baylor College of Medicine that, I mean, during the pandemic was a great example. The wellness initiative was never looked at as something that we could cut to save, save money. Nice. Um, but yeah, then we, we, did, we did some other things. Yeah, we did some other things. And so from a metrics perspective, I'm very data driven. And so I would probably say, What's important is whatever you can get your hands on. And I know that that's kind of a blanket statement, but whatever, and, and Philip, mentioned, whatever you can get your hands on to tell the story um, yeah. of your program, where, you know, combining what people need through biometric screenings, through um, benefits information, through your carriers, um, absenteeism data, presenteeism, uh, working with wellness vendors, but also what people want through testimonials, through engagement surveys and yearly yearly surveys so do it all and do it often because that's that's yeah can help in the long run are you privileged and again it doesn't matter of course if you are or not but you know to what philip has shared like do you have the opportunity to speak to your senior leadership and present to them on what you're doing and how you're doing so yeah so uh, like i mentioned earlier we we do at least once a year speak to our administrators council and we talk and, and we i constantly meet with the the COO uh, of the company to talk about, you know, what we're doing, where we could improve, where, um, like you mentioned, even if it's senior leadership, um, and Ryan mentioned earlier, middle managers can be kind of seen as a concrete layer 
Um, and we had a lot of people tell us, yeah, I know about this, but I never hear about it in our weekly meetings or our department meetings. And so we can go to senior leadership and say, in order to increase awareness, because one of the main reasons why people don't participate in wellness initiatives, one, people think it's time, but it's really because they don't know about it. Mm. In our model, we have a lot of employees that work in other hospital systems, and they literally just don't know because they're involved in that organization's practices. They, they go to their internet, they use their systems. Yeah. And so having going to senior leadership and saying, if you just talk about this in your weekly meetings, it's going to help tremendously because then people have the perception that it is okay for them to practice self-care during the day, yeah. which is huge. Yeah. And then, you know, just before we go to Ryan here, um, you know, you mentioned show your worth. So was that like AKA for the ROI? Like, do, am I correct then in hearing you say that your organization or senior leadership are not necessarily looking for that specific ROI factor? Return on investment. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, return on investment ROI. Um, and this is my personal opinion. I think the huge debate VOIs is the value of your program is, is right. hands down. That's easy to see, right? Yeah. You, you're saving people's lives on the front end. Um, and, and so a lot of times whenever people say, oh, ROI, it can't be shown. It's because they don't have access to the data. They're not ingrained in HR and they just don't see, they, they can't yeah. show that. So, um, but throughout the years, in the first part years of our program, we've been around since 2014, um, whenever I was hired at Baylor College of Medicine, we were never once asked to show ROI. Okay. And it was it was on me. I said, you know what, we should do this because it, it's led to some of the awards that we won, um, showing the outcomes, but also it shows what we're investing into these into this program yeah. and what we're getting back from this segment. Again, I think it's it's a huge puzzle, and I think we're a piece of that puzzle. Well, it's but really, it's it's benefits design and all that other stuff as well. It's really yeah. nice because it to me it speaks to the fact or speaks to the, the quality and the value of what you're doing. And if they see that, they're they're not necessarily looking for that bottom line ROI. And that speaks volumes in terms of the value of what you're doing, right? And then Ryan, how about yourself? When, you know, we're talking about the goals and setting goals and objectives and then specifically around metrics. And how does uh, how does Gallup approach that? What are they looking for from you as a well from your program yeah, I'm, I'm also pretty obsessed with anything that is trackable and what I feel is important that can help relay the sentiment and the, the, the qualitative value of the, the program. If I were to have been <clears throat> required to keep track of an ROI or meet an ROI standard or reduce healthcare claims, I probably would have been fired a whole <laughs> long time ago. <laughs> So thankfully, so, I mean, I, I think most people will, would agree to that. But if if somebody's listening and saying, um, I might not retain my job or I might not grow within this organization if I don't meet these ROI or, or healthcare uh, metrics, um, just just know that that there's something else going on in that organization leadership wise that uh, is not connecting the dots between wellness and, and the value proposition to their employees. So what we do in, in terms of what I'm obsessed about um, it with, uh, with what we can track and that what is validated is our wellbeing index. So we take our wellbeing index it was validated in the early two thousands. Um, 
about 2009 is when it became validated. So that's a, that's a tool that we use internally. Is that something, uh, the well-being index, is that something you created yourself or is that an industry tool? <laughs> Gosh, I would love to take credit for it. Okay. It was, it was our most senior scientist uh, oh, okay. who, who created it. Yeah. And it was um, boots on the ground, at least 1000 surveys done in, in more than 150 countries around the world. So it's globally validated. And, um, it uh, helps. It helped to create our framework of well-being. So there's that, and then there's also this new metric we call net thriving okay. that we implement, and it's a two question. It's a two-part question. Yeah, and, uh, I actually speak to that in the book, and if the, to our listeners, yeah. you can learn more about the net thriving by Gallup in their book called Work Well-being at work. Well-being at work. Well-being at yeah. work. So yeah, you can learn more about net thriving. So that's that's great. Um, yeah. So so thank you for that, guys. Um. I want to move on now, and I mean, my gracious, there's so much to talk about, and thankfully we have one more segment, but let's move on. Um, what do you see as some of the key competencies and skills and qualities that's going to be required of workplace wellness leaders in the months, maybe years to come, to really be able to effectively navigate and lead our organizations and their employees in, and for those who read our book, I refer to what I taking some liberties here and call it the VUCA 2.0 environment. So those new to VUCA, it's the, um, you know, the volatile, uh, uncertain, complex and ambiguous environment. And I just feel that we're on a, in a VUCA on steroids or a VUCA 2.0, if you will. Right. I mean, if we've ever been in a volatile, dynamic, fluid environment, complex, ambiguous, it's now because we just don't know, right? We don't know what the future's. We never know what the future's going to hold, but certainly right now, there's so much at, at play, right? So again, what do you feel are the competencies and skills and qualities that's going to be really be required of us as leaders to help navigate these murky waters? So let me see. Anyone, anyone want to just start off that conversation? I can, uh, I can go. And just yeah. to, um, I'll kind of do like a politician debate. I, I want to kind of rebuttal away, not rebuttal, but lean off of what Ryan just mentioned as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then, I, and then I'll answer your question. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Go <laughs> the, uh, so, um, you know, like you mentioned, we, we have to remember that we are dealing with people. And so if we're talking about metrics and wanting to show ROI and, and feeling like we need to show a risk trend in the, in the right direction, that can be very stressful on us. And, and I admit myself as well, whenever I see data and I'm like, oh, we're trending up in, in systolic blood pressure or something like that. I take that very personally and, and realize, you know, what can we do or something like that? But you have to realize that we are people and health runs on ebbs and flows. And it's a, it's a continuum. It does, it's not a negative trajectory forever. Again, wellness is not a new concept and we are still seeing increased risk trends. So um, just, just remember that. Um, is is very important. Um, I apologize. Remember the question before. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. No, about <laughs> competencies and skills and qualities of working yes. with leaders to really navigate. Yes. VUCA two point <laughs> So I think one of the greatest skills that a wellness practitioner can have is just being people oriented, um, because that's what again that's what we're involved in. We're involved with people, um, and, and so not someone that has to be. Uh, you know, type B and, and ecstatic and like, they're like out there in front of everybody. I don't think it takes that, but you have to have a compassion and you have to have an altruistic nature about yourself to really want to go above and beyond to help one person out of thousands in an organization, but also being business, 
you know, having that business mindset to say, how does this relate back to what we're trying to do as an organization and as an entity? So one of the things that I've learned going through my doctorate is really about theory, because I think a lot of times we, we concentrate on developing an outcome. Like we do a weight loss program just to get results. And then we find people are stuffing their pockets with staplers so they can show weight loss or doing crash diets. Oh no. But I've seen it. I've seen it all. So we've, but, but why do people make decisions that they make? Right. And I think that that's, that's really what we have to look at. So I think really looking at theory, behavioral change theory, um, a lot of times people use with the uh, trans theoretical model. You'll see that in a lot of wellness programs, um, stages of change and those types of things. But also, you know, the help leap model, the self-determination theory that talks about motivation, which can be related to engagement, yeah, basic and, needs. Daniel Pink, so it's all important. Daniel Pink's work around uh, drive and, you know, around internal, mm-hmm. you know, internal motivation as opposed to external, right? I think, you know, the more yeah. we can really understand that, I think that will help influence, um, you know, and, and help direct us in, in where we're going. Right. And yeah. Um, I almost got, I almost got a degree in sociology. That was, I was, I was, that was almost my, because that's not important. Yeah, Understanding right. social groups and stuff. Absolutely. There's a lot of, you know, intersection here for sure. Um, Philippa and then Ryan, um, you know, in terms of the competency skills and qualities of workplace wellness leaders, what do you see? Oh gosh. You know, I, there, there's so many out there. I mean, I, I think what, what really sticks to my mind is change management, mm-hmm. you know, the ability as a leader to, you know, to be, to get more comfortable with pivoting and, and us being in healthcare, you pivot very, very quickly. <laughs> right? um, one day you got your to-do list, five minutes later, it can yeah. completely change because of something's happened, critical incident, you know, whatever can I it just is. Stop there for a second. So when yeah. I worked in HR years ago, we were, I was, you know, involved in, in a high level learning center of expertise. And we were very much involved in the merger of four telcos, telecommunications into one. And I remember some of our leaders I was involved in, maybe I don't want to put ageism at play here, but you know, some who are a little more, you know, uh, put off by the fact that we worked on a project for four months and now senior leadership's telling us it's no longer valid. You know, we got to change directions. And some of them really had a hard time with that. You know, even yeah. myself, and I was of a younger generation, right? But when you put your blood, sweat, and tears into something for four months and now they're said, we got to put it on the shelf, right? Yeah. But but yeah. but that's a reality, and I think it's going to be a reality much much more going into the future. And I think you bring up a really great point that as workplace wellness leaders, we could be working on an initiative, and then have to really seriously park it, put it aside, and pivot. Yeah, yeah and and, I, and that, that speaks to also your data. Like, why are you know that work that you were doing? What data is supporting that? So you may be asked, and, and sometimes you may need to have that, be able to have that conversation or skill to have that conversation with your director or VP or whatever and say, well, I, I hear you that we need to park it, but if we park it, ABC will happen, right? Right. So I right. think it's, it's, this is where the comfort level is. Yes. You may just have to, yes, I, I'm going to be, I will park it. And that's fine. We all have a boss. We report to, we but understand right? what will but, happen if but we do exactly. park it, right? So that's fine. And this is where you kind of have to, I guess, for lack of a better thought right now is to remove some of that personal upset and yes. say, okay, I, this is the work don't I'm Don't take it personally. It. Don't I don't take it personally. Take it personally. Yep. I'm parking it. But yep. just so you know, A, B, and C is still an issue. Yeah. Based on the last data results I have, yeah. it's still an issue. But or I'll even, park it. Yeah, or even right? framing it like, you know, Mr. CEO, just so you know. Yeah. A, B, and C will not be addressed. And, exactly. And 
Part two, yeah. these will be the implications. And part C, are you okay with that? Can you go to bed yeah. at night? Can you live with that? If yeah. not, then we need to have a further conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I would also other areas is, you know, um, understanding the basic business model. I mean, every program, whether it's nephrology or oncology is a business per se, a separate program with its budget, with its resources. So it's, it's understanding that, you know, business model of that program, not just the leader understanding right. it, but also empowering and, and, and engaging their staff to understand how this program runs. Right. So, you know, understanding we have workload management issues, staff shortages, but if you, if you're transparent with your staff, so learning to have those, those, that conversation, if you're not comfortable, so educating yourself and how to have those difficult conversations, um, education on uh, teaching basic life skills, you know, sometimes we, we manage our life a certain way, and we bring that into the workplace, and, and it may not translate correctly, or, right. or necessarily is, as to what's needed, for the, the culture of your yeah. department. So really keep a broad lens, keep a broad yeah. open mindset, right? Yeah. You know, communication. Um, again, getting back to the inclusivity and diversity of your 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 department and your organization, you may have to learn different techniques yeah. and language and uh, things to say to your team. Yeah. Um, and boundaries. Um, as a leader, and again, for all of us that have, you know, worked through the pandemic and done these 12 hour days and, mm. you know, 24 hour days, some of us, <laughs> um, none of us here, of course, <laughs> no, of course. Um, you know, you know, how do we teach ourselves um, skills to set those boundaries and to, so we can be a good example, so we can yes. lead by example. Well, you know, again, uh, I know it's been kicked around a lot, but put in on the oxygen masks first, right? I mean, you know, it's an... A well-worn saying, yeah. but I don't think we can overstate it, right? It's Because uh, I do see, yeah. I speak to this in the book, I do see workplace wellness professionals and leaders in, in organizations, if not burnt out on the verge of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Jesse, thank you, Philip. Um, sorry, Ryan. Um, you know, we're, we think about the competency, skills, and qualities. And just to add to what Jesse and Philip has said, anything else that you want to add to that? Yeah, I could just reiterate what they said. I totally agree. I think just being really dependable partners and learning how to create relationships uh, up and down the vertical chain is important. Yeah. So having having good relationships with grassroots as well as uh, middle management and executive level is is really important. Yeah. Uh, they both touched on kind of being perpetual students. Yes. So always. Yes. Always well, learning. Well, you guys, you're all per- perfect examples. I alluded to Jessica, or sorry, Philippa just finished an OHS certificate. Um, you're both Ryan and Jesse in the process of completing your doctorate. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, and I think also yeah. just informal learning too is Absolutely. important. So uh, whether or not you choose to get another degree is uh, obviously it's wonderful, but um, there's so much one can learn. Well, uh, podcasts if, if, like this one, right. for example. <laughs> We've spoke to, I guess, well, throughout this one, but also in the first segment around, you know, the value of connecting with leadership, right? So as we know, leadership support is so key. It's really a key determinant of success, I feel, in our programs. So what advice would you give senior leadership to help them promote the concept of self-care, you know, self-care to themselves, self-care with their employees, but, you know, really promote both workplace wellness and the care, the self-care concept, you know, uh, and the benefits of it to their employees and to the organization as a whole. So, 
you know, what, what conversation would you have? How, how would you, how would you approach that with your senior leadership? And when I say senior leadership, that's just, you know, we can speak to middle, middle management as well. So middle management and your senior leadership, you know, yeah, I think I'll start with that, Lisa. Yeah. I think, you know, again, just reiterating, you know, what I've been currently doing, you know, even in my presentations of senior leadership uh, to, you know, get them engaged. So so add a stretch session, right, into mm. your presentations. Um, and, and that goes over pretty well, right? I mean, it, it does very pain. well. So, so yeah, for those um, of our listeners yep. who may think, oh, I don't know if I could do that. Oh, it's like they're yeah. people too. I think yeah. I, I, I say that in jest, but really, I think they I are. think that could be this this perception, because I, I mean, I had it before coming to SHN, I, I was working in financial industry. And, you know, the VP was somebody very, very high up on this pedestal, but it's a person. And Absolutely. it's somebody that has, um, they have their own wellness journey, or their, 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 uh, what they're doing for themselves. So get them to share, engage them. If you're, if you're at a, a meeting or an opportunity where there's, you know, what are you doing for your wellness, you know, and, and, you know, have them also, we've had um, our CEO, we had a Bell Let's Talk uh, workshop, nice. we had our CEO do an introduction. And again, reiterate the importance of this workshop. Uh, we get our senior leadership, our CEO d- does, does newsletters, they introduce our VP introduces our um, holidays, our R- Ramadan and Black History Month and all those sorts of things. So it doesn't necessarily have to be them doing Zumba with me on the unit, yeah, yeah. but even though that's fun and my VP has dance, <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Um, you know, just having them be on that, be on the header, you know, be on the um, leading the conversation. It, it, it almost sort of sets the tone. It's like your strategy. If the organization doesn't have wellness or health and safety or somewhere embedded in the strategy yeah. or it, it's, you know, it's going to be difficult to have yeah, it well, trickle we call down. It in, entrenching wellness into the organizational yeah. landscape in our first section of our book, right? Uh, absolutely. And so, yeah, um, Jesse and then Ryan, like, you know, how do you connect with senior leadership and to get them to recognize the importance of their self-care uh, with their employees? How would you maybe, can you think of an example where you've done something to serve and support them in that regard? Yeah, so I think, I mean, you know, it'd be great if if every senior leader, you know, some, and unfortunately in, the, in today's day and age, something happens that's negative before something that positive happens. So like they will have a heart attack and then they realize oh, that no, hey. this is great, need to do it. So and I think that's just kind of how we operate sometimes is that we really don't see the whole picture until something bad happens. Force association, um, yeah. Yeah, and then, so, I mean, we would well. All senior leaders be like, yeah, we should design this million, multi-million dollar wellness center and we should have this track and, and do all this stuff as, as an organization. Um, but that's just not the case, right? And so, um, you know, I think some middle managers still kind of have that old adage of, you know, life is life, work is work, check it at the door. But if we're thinking about people and, and people bringing their full self to work, that is not possible. You bring pieces of you to your day, whether if, if you had a fight or something like that, you're not going to be the same and you're not going to be as productive. So we really have to, you know, as the quote unquote experts, or, and there's a lot, a lot of data to show this, is that, you know, having people practice self-care and really having employees practice health and well-being not only helps them, but it helps you 
as a middle manager because it's going to help your group. Your group is probably going to get along a little bit better. Um, you might have open communication where you might not have had before. And it can look it can look a variety of different ways, but we have to let them know that it's not just, oh, yeah, they're taking a break so they can go walk for 10 minutes. But they're taking a break. They might be working on a project, but they need to get their oxygen flowing again to their brain. Yeah. Um, so to help you, them think more can clearly. Can you think of an example? And again, I don't want to put you on the spot, but can you think of any example that uh, where you worked with a middle or senior level leader, uh, either one on one or as a group, and maybe some you know outcomes from that? You know, in terms of the whole self care or how they can help the self care or you know promote self care with their employees. Any, any particular examples? That um, honestly, not. Uh, probably directly as far as, as helping self-care. I mean, I've, I've had multiple discussions of people trying with, um, you know, people in our, in our senior leadership level um, getting more involved in the program, mm-hmm. um, which has in turn helped them talk about the program a little bit more and, and how it's helped them. So I think from that perspective, I've, we've helped a lot of people that can turn around and say, this is how the program has helped me in general. Um, and then, you know, you should use it as well. Um, but myself, not from a direct impact to where I was like, I was coaching a specific individual and lost, you know, 10 pounds or something like that. Yeah. Not so much the coaching, but I'm sure you've probably had conversations one-on-one with them, you know, um, to to that regard. Um, Ryan, uh, how about yourself? Uh, Anything? Yeah, I'll go. I'll go straight to an example. How's that sound? Something tactical. So, so we, we really utilize Microsoft teams, Mm -hmm. which is a software program, very similar to something like a Slack. So we, um, we, we update our, our uh, wellness channel. We call it in the zone. It's the in the zone channel. Um, That's the name of our internal wellbeing program. And from time to time, we will highlight leaders within the organization and in what in what we call this um, segment called uh, what uh, all about your workout. So it kind of rhymes slightly. All about your workout. I love all it. about your workout. So what we found is, I guess, anecdotally, what I've found is that it's sometimes hard for leaders to talk about wellness and well-being. So it's okay, it can you, be. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think it's just hard because it's such a personal, unique topic and it's very broad. So what I've, what I've been doing is giving them the opportunity to, uh, to write about it and to mm-hmm. share photos about what they are doing for nice. their self-care. Nice. So I've got a standard uh, form of questions. I it put it easily into a Microsoft form. So it's pretty standard questions, but then uh, might, a- might ask a few additional questions based on who the person is who's answering them. But, uh, and then, and then we just give them that spotlight for the day so they can kind of share what they're doing uh, in their own self-care routine, whether it's their workout or their nutrition or, you know, sleeping habits or, or whatnot, anything that contributes to their health and well-being. And then uh, that's just a, w- a good way for us to promote that, uh, you know, self-care is happening all the way up and down the chain. Nice. I often wondered too, like not saying you do this, but it'd be kind of neat if you could and others um, to have some kind of um, um, comment box or something, you know, uh, for there is, you can, you oh, can like, there? you can like it, you can oh, love it. Can they, can, can employees make a comment back you to can the comment? Leader? Absolutely. Nice, nice. Yeah. And, yeah. And we do don't they- get a, t- we don't get a ton, but there's, there, there's some, yeah. sometimes it's uh 
we'll get we'll definitely get people to comment like wow this is awesome or maybe like you that. can go in and make a comment just to get the get the ball rolling right <laughs> yeah definitely oh yeah for yeah, sure yeah. nice we'll do that nice nice great stuff okay and then lastly um to wrap up this segment two before we go into the the part three which is actually going to get really specific into what you're doing you know within each of your roles um what are one or two tips that you might offer well-being practitioners to help them, you know, start the ball rolling, get the ball rolling with res- with their senior leaderships with respect to workplace wellness and get that conversation. So, you know, any any particular tips, uh, you know, related to what we we're just talking about, but anything really tactical again that you could impart to maybe some new workplace wellness leader who's a little, you know, intimidated about connecting with or approaching senior leadership or or middle managers, right? So, Philippa, how about yourself? Well, I guess the way we would look at it is is taking it from maybe an education perspective. We, we just talked a lot about, you know, what the courses and education and, and things like that to do. So if maybe you've you're recently been empowered to develop wellness and, you know, you've got a budget, you've just, you've just been told, go run, you got it. So maybe doing some, maybe doing, you know, a coaching course with Lisa, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and just um, you know getting educated and you know creating um, awareness to, to create that plan. If you're just brand new and you're you're, you're just starting out, you know um, creating the operations plan, you know which is a standard document. It's called many different things in, in, in different um, wellness you know education, but that was something I did. You know I I knew that was the one big takeaway and. Uh, to be perfectly transparent, my, my, my director at the time said, oh, don't, don't worry about it. We don't need it yet. Don't worry. Don't worry. But I persevered. I had faith in, in myself and in, in what I was needing to do and knowing it was going to be important and there was going to be a time. And that time came and I was ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's sort of, I think, you know, what can I do to uh, justify A, my existence and A, the existence of, of a program, whether it's new or, or in or in process. Um, I think those are the two starting points. Needs assessment is number one to, you know, figure out, look at the data. Like even if you you can't do a needs assessment because there's just no time or if everyone's surveyed out, gather as much, do that environmental scan, gather that data and use that to leverage um, leverage the program build. Nice, nice. And Ryan, how about yourself? Any tips? Yeah, I'd say meet as many people as you can and try to make good connections just all the way horizontally vertically throughout the organization meet as many people as you can get to know them show them that you care about them as a human being um because otherwise you you know i'm sure you wouldn't be within this within this role but um yeah just creating those connections is really important because the organization is uh is so incredibly resourceful when you you are friends and well-connected to more and more people. Yeah. Great stuff. And Jesse, any tips, final parting words for this segment? Um, I would probably say uh, a couple of things. One is confidence. We, we have to be confident. I think a lot of times whenever people are getting into well-being space, they feel like they don't deserve or they shouldn't have a seat at the table. And again, this is well-being and, and health and well-being is a, is a, piece of a very large overall puzzle, but it is a, it is a great piece in, in becoming uh, a piece that's very needed. Um, and so you're seeing a lot of chief wellness officers and, and those types of things. So 
Um, I'll probably say that is that, you know, build confidence and don't be afraid, like Ryan said, to, to reach out to anyone and everyone. Um, and because you never know how that, that relationship is going to build or you're going to build that new bridge with, with other people. Um, and I would also say find it, you know, not just internally, but also externally. We talked about earlier, there's so many resources in the wellness space. Um, find a mentor, find, find someone that has been doing it for a while. I mean, I will tell you that I, Ryan and another buddy of ours, Mitch, Mitch, um, I reach out to them on a regular basis and we set up powwows and we just shoot around ideas to each other saying, you know, Hey, I got asked about this. What do y'all think? And it just, it's so helpful whenever you, you have some people like that in your circle. Co-mentoring is so, so powerful. Absolutely. Well, listen, thank you guys. We're going to wrap this up. We've got another one. If you can stay on and uh, we're going to continue on just to wrap up segment three, where we're going to actually look at some specific initiatives you're doing. So I think that's going to be really enlightening. So thank you again to our listeners for joining this segment, second segment of our kickoff podcast. And again, a special thanks once again to Jesse Philippia. Philippa and Ryan, um, you know, I'll be watching for that part three I just mentioned that will be posted in a couple weeks time. And, uh, you know, keep on listening to this episode to hear my final thoughts on today's discussion. So take care, everyone. Stay healthy and vibrant. And of course, keep on keeping it real. Bye for now. What an incredible discussion. There are so many takeaways I'd like to highlight, but valuing your time, I'll perhaps just focus on one key concept, that being the importance of accepting and embracing change in what I refer to in our book as a VUCA 2.0 environment. Yes, as workplace wellness, HR and organizational leaders, it's so important now more than ever to be accepting of and anticipating change at any moment. And one of the best ways to do this is by nurturing an open mindset and being totally open to the fact that at any moment, you may need to pivot with an important project or maybe a wellness or HR program, for example, and to be prepared for that and accepting of it and comfortable with such. Now, that being said, and as I addressed in my opening comments in part one of this episode, if you believe an initiative is really critical to the health and well-being of your people, your organization, and your culture, I encourage you to address such with your leadership through the proper channels, of course. If you feel within your heart that something is worth championing, it might behoove you to present to leadership the opportunity costs of maybe modifying, shelving, or even delaying an initiative. One way of doing so, as Philippa mentioned, is to identify the negative impacts that might occur and explore the opportunity costs and implications of foregoing critically important projects. And then using compelling data and stories from the heart, help leadership discern and reconcile whether they and the organization can live with such a decision. Well, that's all for now. Thanks again for tuning in and be watching for part three in two weeks. Take care, stay well, and see you next time.